New Jersey, like, you know. That's okay, I have the same feeling. Um, you know, all good things come out of New Jersey. It's the stuff that stays that's a real problem, like our politicians. But we, we share them with you guys. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I, we have a, this is kind of interesting being out here. This is how my day started. Uh, last night we were, we were staying at a place and uh, the, you know, just trying to meet the people at this bed and breakfast we're at. And we have this uh, woman who, you know, just having a nice conversation. She's out here visiting her kids. And, you know, she asked what I'm doing out here. I said, well, I'm out here to speak at a church up the street. If I could have killed the conversation quicker, I don't know how. I mean, she literally just gave me a look, like, like if a look could kill, and then left. Just immediately just walked out of the conversation like, okay, what did I say? Um, and so we got to see her again for breakfast. Two evangelists. <laughs> I was like, boy, this is going to be fun to see how this breakfast goes. Well, it turns out her husband, who's a lawyer, loves to talk about spiritual things because he is a spiritual mess. He just takes a little bit of here. Oh, I like that. I'll take a little of this and that one's good and just kind of brings it all together. So he's asking what we're going to speak on. So I start explaining my topics and I said, well, I'm going to be speaking on something called presuppositional apologetics. I start explaining what that is. We'll get into that tonight. And so I then explain that, well, I'm also going to be talking on the reliability of the New Testament and how we can put trust in the Bible. And we start discussing that. And he says, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you believe in like a 6,000-year-old earth? And I just turned and said, well, Dr. Svestro here, he, you could talk about your topics. And he says, well, I'm going to be talking. He goes, I'll tell you about my, my first topic next. I first of all, I'll let you know I'm going to answer. I'm going to be giving a talk about the different arguments that, that people make against Christianity. I'm going to give answers. But I'm going to be talking about the importance of the book of Genesis and why it's 6,000 years old and a six-literal-day creation. And he's going through this whole thing. And, you, and the, the woman, you could literally, I'm not kidding, she's sitting there as we're talking, and you see her going like this every once in a while. And then she gets up and just left. It was like, okay. She came back later and she's like, we really have to go. Yeah, like, <laughs> and so we, and there was this other person at the table and the, the, the lawyer decided to ask this other guy, you know, see if he's kind of on the lawyer's side here. He says, well, what do you think about this? And he goes, well, I, I'm a Christian too. I, I believe in God. I, I don't do the science stuff like these guys, but, but I'm more about the, the kingdom. I picked up on that word. And so as, as Anthony is talking with the lawyer, I kind of pull the other guy outside because he had to go and I start talking with him. And sure enough, he's a Jehovah Witness. That's why he loves about the kingdom. And, you know? and so I start talking with him and sharing with him. Something. By the way, first Jehovah Witness, well, actually, no, second, that I've ever seen take material from a Christian. He took Dr. Silvestro's book. I'm going to be sending him my two books. And so, you know, it's just like, wow, okay. He took stuff. Well, we had a great conversation. He I gave him some verses to look back. I gave him a lot of material to go on the plane <laughs> and do a lot of reading. And so, so we figured, hey, that was really God's providence. Let, let's take a walk around the neighborhood just to kind of get out and walk. It's a beautiful day. You guys have nice weather out here. I don't know if you know that. Come on over to Jersey. I'll show you what bad weather is like. Um, it's not just our politicians that are bad. And so, so we're, we're just walking around the neighborhood. And we, we see this. Really, the guy has his garage door open. It's a beautiful garage. He's cool. He's got like a kitchen in the garage because he has parties in his garage. He pulls the cars out. A floor like that's not 
cement. It was like a special floor. And we're, we're just like, he's like, oh yeah, come on in. He goes, you, you know, you should check out my office. He's got a detached office. So, you know, we walked through the garage into his office. I see a picture. I knew kind of what that picture was. So I said, oh, who's this supposed to be? And he looks at me and says, uh, it's Jesus Christ. I, well, it's not really Jesus Christ. I, he's like, well, yeah, yeah, we don't know what he really looked like. It, and I said, so what church do you go to? And he says, the, chi- the church of, he just said, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And I looked at him, I said, and he's oh, Mormon. Now, I don't know if you guys know, they're not allowed to say Mormon anymore. New revelation from their, their latest president. And so I said, well, you're not allowed to use that term anymore, are you? And he says, no, we're not. I, I, gotta, I gotta adjust. So all of a sudden he knows I know a little bit about Mormonism. And so, but he's welcomed us into his house, right? So God's providence, we sat and shared the gospel with him. So we had four really wild conversations in the matter of one hour. <laughs> So that's how my day started. How about you? <laughs> and so be praying. We've, we've had a lot of opportunities to, to, to share. Um, even coming here, the, uh, you know, Dr. Svesho's wife was sharing with someone across the street there. So, um, but that's kind of what we do. We travel and we speak and we share the gospel wherever we go. Um, I'm going to give a pitch for folks who um, don't know much about me. I'm from a Jewish background. I grew up raised Jewish. I was bar mitzvahed. Um, and so I came to Jesus Christ at the age of 16. Um, and it was not some big thing. It was, it was literally three and a half hours. I thought all Christians get saved the first time they hear the gospel. I, I, I didn't realize most people hear it over and over and over again. I, I just thought it was three and a half hours from the time I literally, no joke, I'm sorry if this offends you, but... Being raised Jewish, I believed that Jesus Christ was Hitler's God. We were raised to believe that because the Catholic Church supported Hitler, and that, that's what our thoughts were. So we are just like... So in three and a half hours, I went from believing that Jesus Christ is Hitler's God to being a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, purely logical, because there's, logically there's no other way to reason. And, and so that's how I, I grew up. Uh, I pastored at a, a church, Chinese American Bible Church. If any of you are wondering, as many people do, why in the world is a Jewish boy pastoring at a Chinese church? You can look at the back and see my beautiful wife and realize she's from Hong Kong. Okay. <laughs> so there are certain connections that I have with Chinese people. <laughs> right? so, uh, so when I stepped down from being a pastor, uh, I ended up, uh, I already had Striving for Eternity started just really as, an, as a way of doing outreaches in our area of New Jersey, and what ended up happening is as soon as I announced that I was stepped down from being a pastor, I was asked to speak, like every single week of the year. I was actually out, the first year, I was out 49 weeks the first year, uh, and so we've, that's basically what we started doing. Uh, we've, we have an online school um, teaching people systematic theology, world religions, discipleship, how to interpret the Bible. Um, I'm working on a course on logic, um, so we have a school that's, you're going to, you're going to really, it's, it's a, I don't know if you can afford this, but we offer it for free <laughs> on YouTube. I, I, can you afford that? I don't know. Um, it, it is how we make up money. <laughs> we offer everything for free. Uh, but we do have some books in the back. That's actually how we make some money. Um, and this one was perfectly timed for today. Sharing the good news with Mormons. Any of you have Mormon friends? Okay. So, so here's the thing. This is actually isn't just for people who share the gospel with Mormons. It's 24 different authors that got together and gave different ways that we go about sharing the gospel. Okay, and mine is open-air evangelism. Okay, whatever you think about open-air evangelism, I'm not that guy, okay? <laughs> the, the publisher was like, you're spending half your chapter saying who shouldn't do open-air evangelism, how not to do it. 
I said, yeah, because anyone that gets excited about my chapter is going to go on YouTube and see how not to do it. I want to, like, set the stage. But, but we have a lot of different guys that, sh- that t- tactics are good for any idea, and they're all short. They're, like, six pages long. We're limited. The publisher limited us to a certain number of, like, 3,000 words. I didn't realize how hard that is. <laughs> Um, but, but it, and yet it's thick because there's 24 authors, um, very, some very well-known uh, folks. One guy who has been behind this pulpit before is Jim Wallace, Jim Warner Wallace, uh, if you know him, Cold Case Christianity. Sean McDowell was the editor, and he's got a chapter in here. Um, Matt Slick from Karm.org. So that, but that'll give you, if you want to learn about Mormonism, you're learning not only how to share with them, but you learn... Uh, Mormonism as well. I have a book called What Do They Believe, which is a systematic theology of the major Western religions. So I'm going to look at Judaism, Catholicism, Islam, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism, and Christianity. I systematize them from their sources and look at what it is that they believe. But that might cause you to say, well, what do we believe? Well, that's good because I have a book on that too. And this is basically, how many of you guys have seen John MacArthur's biblical doctrine? You, you know, if you need to, like, anchor down a boat, it'll, it'll work. Or Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, you can get through this, right? Uh, one of the things that I did with this is I tried to really make it so that anybody can read and learn theology. Anybody, okay? I have a guy in my church. He said, he said this is the second book, second or third book in his life that's not a comic book that he's ever read. And he understood it. Okay, and they, they understand everything? No, but you know, if you like studying theology, I throw things in. I try to teach at all the different levels. The other book we have in the back is called On the Origin of Kinds. I'm going to talk about presuppositional apologetics. This book deals with presuppositional apologetics, creation, science, and evangelism, and brings them together. Okay? The way we, the books are is uh, Dr. Silvestro's book and my book. If you, they're 115 for $15, two for 25, three for 36. Look in the back for a head nod, yes. This one is $18. It's usually $20 online from the publisher, but we don't have to make money off it, so, <laughs> um, so that's what we do. Uh, so that's that. I, I, we do have Pastor mentioned a podcast. How many of you listen to the Rap Report podcast? Okay, the rest of you, I don't know that you have to listen to go to heaven, but why take the chance? Just saying. Uh, I have a podcast. I have a daily podcast, two minutes every day. I have a weekly podcast, one hour. Uh, We just recently did one on depression. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of anyone who has dealt with depression. It was one of the harder ones for me because I admit about some of a period of my life where I had went through some depression. And so uh, that was the hardest podcast I think I've done so far. But uh, we have uh, the weekly podcast we put together. if you, th- if you think, how many of you think the name Rap Report is a corny name? Come on, show some. Oh, I still lose Anthony. Oh, I went to a Shepherds Conference trying to convince Dr. Silvestro that it was the corniest name because Andrew Rappaport, and it's the Rap Report, and everyone thought it was great. And as soon as we started it, I, got, I was getting emails like, this has nothing to do with rap music. <laughs> so now I have to call it Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report so it makes sense, right? Like, okay. It's not about rap music, it's, but that is why I share the gospel on every episode. Who knows? <laughs> well, at least the weekly episode. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to open to Romans 1 as we get going. I'm going to talk about something called presuppositional apologetics. Is there anybody who's heard of that before? Raise your hands. Okay, a couple. 
For the rest of you, does that sound intimidating? Yes, I know. And if I do my job well, you will be able to understand it. And it will make it so easy to go, why did that sound so hard? That's my hope. (laughs) Okay. How many of you know someone who is an atheist? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you know someone that says they're agnostic? Raise your hand. Okay, so let's define those really quick. An atheist is someone who knows that God does not exist. Right? Okay. Let's see if that's possible really quick. To know that God doesn't exist would first require me to know everything there is in the universe, wouldn't it? Because I'd have to know everything to know that God does not exist. If I knew everything there is to know in the universe, what would you call me? Thank you. Therefore, atheism is impossible. Because to be an atheist, you'd have to be God. And guess what? God's not an atheist. Okay, so, so there's people who are agnostic, right? Really. Let us turn to Romans chapter 1 and see if that is true. We're going to look at Romans 1, 18 to 23. Let's see if God believes in atheists or agnostics. And this will be is the key text for our, our subject. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's amazing. Isn't that we doesn't so much of that describe our culture. Those who, who think they're wise and yet they become foolish. We're going to see why they become foolish, what makes them foolish uh, in a few minutes. But are there agnostics? Not according to that verse. According to that verse, every single person knows that God exists. He's made it abundantly clear to everyone. Just look at creation. They know God exists, but what do they do? They suppress that in unrighteousness. They try to push it down. By the way, the people that try to push it down the most are usually the ones that think about God the most. You ever wonder why it is that those that profess to be atheists think about God more than Christians? You know, it, it's really an amazing thing. I like to point that out to them. You know, these guys that spend their entire day, like online, trying to prove God doesn't exist. 
it's really a puzzling thing to me. I, I'll ask them sometimes and say, so let me understand. You, you like read blogs about atheism, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. You read books about it? Oh, yeah, there's some great books out, you know. Steve, Sam Harris has a great one. You know, it's a, oh, so you read books about this. And you, you watch, like, documentaries and movies? Oh, yeah. Okay, um, but you don't believe God exists? No. So every December, do you go to the mall to, you know, stand outside where they're taking the pictures and say, Santa doesn't exist? And they go, no. Well, why not? You know what the answer I always get? Because everyone knows he doesn't exist. I go, thank you. I wait for it to sink in. Yeah, the the reason you're reading all these blogs and books and documentaries is because you're trying to convince yourself that God doesn't exist. Because if you really believed he doesn't exist, like Santa Claus at the mall, you wouldn't waste your time. You know, and, and that's the thing we have to start with to realize they know God exists. So I take this as an axiom. An axiom is a starting point without proof that you cannot prove. So when I look at this, I end up saying, well, you see, we look at this and say this, the necessary starting point for any knowledge is going to be God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have knowledge without believing in God. Okay. What I'm saying is in order for knowledge to make sense. God must exist. I was going to, on a cruise with my wife last December. This is, I mean, pray for my family, especially my wife. The kids moved out. They don't have to deal with me as a dad anymore. Um, but pray for my wife. You know, she still has to live with me and, and go through experiences like this. We're going to, on a cruise. Have you ever been on a cruise before? Okay, uh, begin, before you get on the cruise, they put you all in this holding pen like an you know, animal going to slaughter, you know. <laughs> And they put you there, and, and you're just sitting and waiting for your number to be called to go on to the, the ship. What do I do? I turn to the guy sitting across from me. I start a conversation. I say, hey, do you get one of these? He's like, what's this? It's a gospel track. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. He goes, I'm an atheist. Oh, hey, cool. Hey, could you give me your best argument for atheism? He goes, I'm a scientist. I said, yeah, well, okay, I, I argue you can't do science without God. But I asked for your best argument for atheism. He's like, I told you, I'm a scientist. Okay, but you can't do science without God first existing. He's like, no, science is the answer to everything. I said, okay, so you do science, right? He says, yeah. I said, all right, so science requires things like knowledge, right? Yeah, truth, Uh uh-huh. Laws of logic, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, those things are all immaterial things. They can't come about by natural processes like a chemical reaction, can they? You see, that's something that's immaterial, I can't pour you a cup of logic, can I? So I said, well, you, you, have, you have some things you require to do science, like truth, knowledge, re- an ability to reason, laws of logic. So for you to be able to do science, you first need an immaterial source for those abilities. We call him God. At that point, he's like, I just want to have a nice cruise. Okay. Needless to say, by the way, I finished the story, is that he, we saw him the last day of the cruise. He had no one to eat dinner with. <laughs> Jack, you want to come have dinner with us? Sure. Poor Jack. Jack made the bad argument that there's, there's no intelligent Christians. Christians, there's not intelligent people that would be a Christian. I said, what would you define as intelligence? You know, he's like, well, there's not smart people that do science. Well, it turns out, Jack, I'm in the same branch of science as you. And by the way, I have 168 IQ. How's that sound? 
And so he turned to the other guy at the table who, happened, who, who was sitting with us, and he didn't realize that guy was a Christian at that point. He said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, I'm a Christian too, and I'm a mechanical engineer. It didn't go well for Jack that night. <laughs> but you notice how quickly I could go through that. You see, the argument that they have fails because of one thing. They have to steal from our worldview for theirs. And what do they do? This is what they argue. They say, could you do me a favor? Can you take, can you take this book of yours? Put it over there and let's have a dialogue. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to leave the truth and then talk about your falsehood? Oh, to be neutral. Really? Are you neutral? W- will you agree to throw out all of your science books so we could talk about science? Well, why would I do that? That wouldn't make sense. But you want me to take the Bible, God's word, and then talk about God. Throw this out. and That doesn't make any sense either. Right? If we're going to talk about God or creation, let's start with the only scientific evidence we have for the creation of the universe. Why do I say that? Are you familiar with the scientific method? It requires observation, repeatability. Someone that can create something and as an experiment, repeat this, and they have to observe it and then write it down. Well, in the beginning, there was this big bang. Who observed it? Well, I I think we know because someone spoke and bang, it happened. He said, let there be light. And then he wrote it down for us to know. Do you know that this is the only scientific evidence for the creation of the universe. Because the person who observed it and made it happen wrote it down. By the way, one day he's going to wipe it away and recreate it. So we, we even got the recreation of it. So we got the repeating. <laughs> you see, what you end up with is they want to deny that. And it's a really kind of funny, isn't it? You, you, you talk to someone that says they're an atheist. I, I had a, a, a guy on Twitter back and forth uh, a couple of months ago. And he was like, I, he's arguing God doesn't exist. I said, okay, in the beginning, we we agree that matter had a beginning, right? He says, yeah. I said, okay, what was it in the beginning that created the matter? He's like, well, nothing. I said, okay, so nothing created it? He's like, yeah. Nothing doesn't do anything. Nothing is nothing. It doesn't create. (laughs) He says, we don't quite know what the nothing is. I said, okay, so there was something in the beginning that created the the whole matter, energy, and everything, but we don't know what it is. He says, yes, but you know it can't be God. Yes. (laughs) And my response was, are you reading what you're saying? I mean, it, it seems so simple, right? But the thing is, is that when we look at what God says, why don't they understand? It's very simple. Because they already know that truth. And want to deny it. A a person who is in denial of the truth will believe anything. I mean anything. Other than the truth. I mean they make up fairy tales for adults. You ever hear of evolution? Right? I I, I got into this long Twitter battle with with a guy. Because I I made the statement. I don't believe. They said me being a Christian. I believe in fairy tales. I said I'm not the one that believes frogs can become a prince. It's amazing how so many of them want to tell me, you don't understand evolution. You mean a frog could never become a prince? If evolution was true, can't they have a, given enough time? Can't this happen? And they, no, it can't. Well, I agree, it can't. But you can't say that from your worldview. Right? 
because they know that a frog becoming a man is a fairy tale. I mean, instead of a kiss, supplement millions of years. And they still know it's a fairy tale. By the way, we're not the ones that believe in magic. They say we believe in magic. The big bang is magic. I mean, there was nothing, and then boom, a magical bang, and everything comes into existence. That's magic. We believe in a person who created. People create. Right? We create things. So a being that can create, that's not unusual. More extraordinary claim is to say that nothing created something. And you could be really, really smart. You could be as smart as Stephen Hawking, if you've read his book. He has a book out where he basically says that we have to understand that in the beginning of the universe, before the Big Bang, there was this really incident, really small point of energy that was so small it didn't even exist and this was nothing and this nothing was actually something that exploded into everything i was outside of nyu university you know it's it's out uh, washington square park you have really smart people there i was talking with a phd candidate and i was he was talking to me about stephen hawking's brilliance and i said wait a minute is nothing nothing or is nothing something he said nothing is something I said, look, you may be much smarter than me. I'm, I'm, I may be having a hard time understanding this, but to me, nothing is nothing and, no, and something is something. Nothing can be something. Something can be nothing. Nothing is nothing, something, something. Which is it? Is nothing something or is nothing nothing? He says, it was something. Okay, so it was something, not nothing. He says, no, it was nothing. And the crowd starts laughing. I'm going, is anyone else having a hard time with this? You see how easy it is to get them into a pretzel. Why? Because their starting point is flawed. And they will go anywhere that they think will make sense to get them to a point to say, this is right. But it's not right. So this is the argument that we would make in what's called presuppositional apologetics. Presupposition is something you believe before, right? A, a supposition you first have. I have two presuppositions. God exists. He has spoken. Those two. Without those two, we can't know the things of the universe. We, we can't have a way of explaining our ability to have reason. You see, if you take chemical reactions, maybe some of you did this as a child. You, you had to make that clay volcano and you put a little bit of baking soda in there. And you pour a little bit of vinegar in there. And what happens? It foams over, Right? Okay, I hope none of you were like me and said, well, if a little bit of baking soda and a little bit of vinegar makes a, a cool foam, what is a whole box of baking soda and a whole you know, bottle of vinegar make? It makes a spanking. Um, <laughs> I, I've learned this from personal experience and a big mess that you have to clean up before dinner. Um, <laughs> and so the thing is, is chemical reactions. Now, this chemical reaction of the baking soda and vinegar... Is it morally right or wrong? Yeah, you're picking up on this, right? It's not either, is it? You see, chemical reactions aren't moral. They just are. You see, a chemical reaction cannot create something that is immaterial. They can only make a material thing. So when you look at something like the laws of logic... Chemical reactions can't create that. 
Here's how, now there's two ways, I'm gonna give you two ways to argue a presuppositional approach to sharing with folks that say God does not exist. I like the way of using the law of logic, but most people like the rule of morality. So I'm gonna start with logic, I'm gonna end with morality. The laws of logic, most people are gonna argue that the laws of logic are from the human mind. Okay, all right, well, let's take a look at that. We, I was actually out in, in Los Angeles, California uh, with the other speaker who will be here tonight, Mark Spence, um, and we were different areas sharing the gospel, and I had, I had six high school kids, and I had this guy come up to me, and he's trying to make an argument that God doesn't exist, but it was really funny. He was kind of doing like, you know, he'd, he'd be like, God doesn't exist, and he'd come back like six times. He's just like drive-by, you know, heckling. <laughs> You know, and so finally I stopped him and I said, look, why don't you stop just dropping your things? Like, let's discuss this. He's like, all right. I said, okay, so you argue God doesn't exist. Let's talk about the law of logic. How can we have laws of logic? The first law of logic, when you understand logic and and learn logic, the first law is the law of identity. Okay. Something is what you have to know what something is and it is what it is. The second law of logic is the law of non-contradiction. I always go to the second law. The law of non-contradiction would say you can't have A and not A at the same time in the same way. In other words, I could have $20 in my wallet. Or I could not have $20 in my wallet. But I can't have $20 in my wallet and not have $20 in my wallet at the same time. I usually have $20 in my wallet until my wife finds my wallet. No. Um, that doesn't happen. She takes it from the kids. <laughs> Actually, we do. She, every, every Chinese near, the kids get more money than us from all their aunts and uncles. And so we, that just becomes our cash. And we just, we just write them a check and put it in their bank. <laughs> that becomes how we get checks. It's kind of our ATM, you know, once a year. <laughs> so, so the thing is that I could have $20 in my wallet or not have it in my wallet, but I can't have both at the same time. I could have had it in my wallet and then went... To Starbucks, oh wait, I would never go there. Um, go to Dunkin' Donuts if you have them out here and, and spend that $20. Now, at one point I had it. At a later point, I didn't. Right? That seems simple enough to understand. Okay. So let's think about this. I always ask this question. So before there was a human mind, we all believe there was a point before human minds. I just believe it was five days You think it was millions of years, but we agree there was a time before human minds, right? Yeah, okay. I said, sir, let me ask you this. Could the universe have existed and not existed at the same time and in the same way before there was a human mind? See, if it's the human mind that created logic, then the answer should be true. Now, most people want to say it's not true because they want to follow what's logical. Not this guy. He wanted to stick to his faith. So he says, yes, it could have existed and not existed at the same time in the same way. I said, so you accept contradictions? He said, yes. He said so proudly. I said, well, you're wrong. He says, I'm right. I said, you're wrong. I'm right. I said, sir, you are wrong and you should not disagree with me because you accept contradictions. But if you think that you're right and I'm wrong, then you've left your worldview and entered mine that we can't have contradictions. Now he was stuck. 
Right? Isn't that simple enough to do? And it's so much fun. Because you see them going like... <laughs> they want to tell you you're wrong, but now all of a sudden they realize if they say you're wrong, you're right. <laughs> They're really stuck now. That's why I love the law of logic. It's, it's funny, you can see their face kind of cringe. You know, and they realize when, they, when the realization hits them. But you see, the laws of logic are not something that we can say happen by a human mind or evolution. No, what, where we get the laws of logic are from the very nature of God. God is logical. So when he created, everything had the laws of logic instilled into that because he is a logical being. You see, that, you see why God becomes a necessary starting point for our thinking? Because I can explain this. In fact, uh, let me give you something from Dr. Silvestro's book. He'll, he'll be speaking tomorrow, um, but in, he, he has an introduction, chapter 7, an introduction to presuppositional apologetics. He stole something. Um, well, he credited it, so it's not really stealing, right? Okay. Um, but he, he, he took something from a friend of ours, Dr. Jason Lyle, and it's, it's called an APT, AIP test. Three ways to te- test a worldview to see if it's valid. Okay, the first is, is it arbitrary? And he says this, he says, a worldview to be valid, it first must not be arbitrary. In other words, you can't just make it up as you go along. It can't be some personal preference. It has to be something that has a standard that's universally true, right? So it can't be just arbitrary. It can't, his second one is inconsistent. The, the second, for a worldview to be valid, it must be consistent. It must be able to support itself and not have any things that conflict with it. And the third, the P, is the precondition of intelligibility. And Dr. Svesho says, for a worldview to be valid, it must satisfy the preconditions of intelligibility. And these include a basis of knowledge, uniformity of nature, absolute morality, a uh, reliability of senses and memory, laws of logic. Okay, so inconsistent. For, for it to be valid, it has to be, have a consistency to it. Is atheism able to hold to that? Well, let's see. Uh, if you ask an atheist about the laws of logic, where do they go? The human mind. And yet that means that logic couldn't have existed before that. Well, okay, let's look at some of the others. Let's look at something like truth or knowledge, you know, or ability to reason. How do you know you have an ability to reason? Well, my senses tell me so. And how do you know your senses are correct? Because I've observed it. And how do you know that your observation is true? Because my senses tell me so. And how do you know your senses are right? Because I've observed it. And how do you know the observation is true? Because my senses tell me. Anyone see a problem here? It's a circular argument. It's a loop they can't get out of. Because the thing that they use to prove the other requires the previous thing. They accuse us of that. They'll accuse us that we only, the reason we believe in the Bible is, or the, in God is because the Bible tells me so. Okay, well, let's look at that for a second. Is the reason that I believe in God because the Bible tells me so? That's partially true. 
right? Because Romans 1, what did we see? What, do we, what is the evidence that everybody has so that they are without excuse? Creation. Now, is creation going to tell me everything about God? No. So I'm going to say, well, I, I, could, I could believe in God outside and know he exists outside of the Bible. Okay, wait, but the only reason you believe the Bible, right? That's my second presupposition, right? God exists as one. He has spoken as two. The only reason you believe the Bible is because the Bible says it's trustworthy. Oh, no, 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 no. You see, the reason I believe the Bible's trustworthy is because its author cannot lie. Again, what am I going back to? The nature of God. So because of the nature of God, that he can't lie, therefore, if he writes something, it must be true. Now I'm not in a circular argument. And they go, uh, 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 and they have trouble. You see, because their worldview is inconsistent. So they want ours to be too. But yeah, what do they do? They, they borrow from our worldview. They want to argue for the laws of logic, knowledge, truth, an ability to reason, and morality. I like to ask them, look, if you believe in a purely natural world, would you do me a favor? Could you argue from your worldview? Please, don't use reasoning, don't use logic, don't use knowledge, don't use truth, and don't say anything's right and wrong. Go. Just use natural things. They can't do that. I said, then you're arguing from my worldview. Don't use my worldview to deny my worldview. That doesn't make sense. In fact, the Bible says something about that. Um, You don't have to turn there. It's only one verse, so I'll read it. This is actually twice in the scripture, but I'm going to read from Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I know that on April 1st, there's people every April 1st that says it's Atheist Day. (laughs) You know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, If you folks know of uh, Living Waters, Mark Spence works from Living Waters. He's going to be here after me, and he'll talk about uh, from Living Waters. But the thing that's interesting, they got a call one year because uh, there was someone that had a, a bumper sticker that said National Atheist Day, April 1st. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Some guy threatened a lawsuit against Living Waters. A bunch of atheists told him to drop the lawsuit. You're embarrassing us. <laughs> why, is, why is it that God says that the person who says there is no God is a fool? Have you ever wondered that? I, I did until I started to understand this presuppositional apologetics. Why? Because to argue that God does not exist, what do I first have to have? Well, I, I have to have a truth, a knowledge, an ability to reason, right and wrong, and laws of logic. Therefore, in order for me to argue that God doesn't exist, and this is the way I word it to, to people that profess to be an atheist, I say, God says, there, a fool says in his heart there is no God, because you have to use your God-given ability to reason to reason that there is no God. So God has to first exist for you to have the ability to reason, and then you use that God-given reasoning to say that he doesn't exist. But your ability to reason is the proof. You see? Now, does this seem easy? I'm hoping that I'm making this easy enough for us to understand. We really don't have to argue these... I know some people are afraid of apologetics. Not only is that a big-sounding word, they think it means everyone's apologizing. 
But the reality is what it means is a defense. And sometimes it seems so difficult because you'll hear people like Dr. Silvestro, who seems like they've been studying science for decades. Oh, wait, he has. Um, By the way, he's a dentist, so be careful. He's going to judge you by your teeth. I'm just saying. Um, But you know what? He's been studying this for years. And you go, man, he talks about carbon-14 dating, and I can't understand all the things he's saying. Like, I don't get that. That's okay. There's some people that are really smart like him that can study that. If you're dumb like me, you just stick to this. It's really easy. We can understand this. We can say, look, how do you have an ability to reason apart from God? Because when you say that God doesn't exist, you're relying on an ability that you can only get from God. Have you ever seen the whales holding a save the human sign? I mean, we need saving, don't we? Have you, yeah, you've seen the ants and they collect all the food in the, in the summer for the winter. Have, they, have you ever seen them with a 401k? Why don't animals do this? Because they weren't made in the image of God. We were. We were given this ability to reason because we were made in the image of God. That's how we have this. That's what sets us apart from animals. This is the reason why when an atheist argues God doesn't exist, they sound like a fool. It's not that we're making a characterization about them in that way, but it is the fact that they're using something that requires God to argue that God doesn't exist. That would be foolishness. It's, it's, you know, there's people who use different illustrations of this. You know, I know one person says, you know, Please, I, I don't believe that writing exists. Please, exp, you know, show me in written form that, God, that writing doesn't exist. You know, or I don't believe air exists. I've never seen it. Right? You know it exists. You breathe it in all the time. Hold your breath. You'll know air exists. Because <laughs> you want it. But the thing is this, is that when we deny the very thing that's required to prove something, you don't need to try to prove it. That's what an axiom is. We don't try to prove God. He is the necessary starting point for us to make sense of everything else. If you want, as, you, as I read from Dr. Svesher's book, you want that AIP test, it is only found within Christianity. Only in Christianity can you get something that is consistent, that you, that you have that, that passes those, that test for the preconditions. That's not arbitrary. Right? It's not what I'm, it doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what God has said. So let's look at the moral argument, because this is really for a lot of people the easiest. And if you're trying to share the gospel, I actually think it is because it's very easy to get from someone being, having morality, being right and wrong, to the question of, do you consider yourself to be a good person? <laughs> it's a very easy jump once they admit that there's a right and wrong, because now we're talking what wrong is. But have, have you ever considered when someone professes to be an atheist and they say that Christianity is evil? Uh, excuse me, hold it. How can you have evil in your worldview? How can you say anything is good or bad in your worldview? You see, that comes from a starting point that God exists to say good and bad. In your worldview, it just is. There shouldn't be a problem. I mean, survival of the fittest. 
We really shouldn't be taking care of those whales that need saving or the spotted owl. Just kill them off. They're not as fit as us. You know, someone actually believed this in history. You may have heard of him. His, his name's somewhat known, but he actually got a whole group of people to try to practice this out to say people that are less fit than others should just be eliminated. You ever hear of Hitler before? Yeah, killed six million Jews and five million blacks and handicapped and gypsies because he wanted to create a super race. And the, and the atheists tried to argue he didn't believe in, he didn't do it because of evolution. Really? So the Jews were half man, half ape? That sounds like evolution to me. You see, if, and the interesting thing is when the Nuremberg trials occurred, it's a very interesting thing. Go search Nuremberg trials and read what the arguments were. The arguments that the Nazis that were captured after the end of the Second World War, the argument that they made was one of a true atheist. There is no right and wrong. We just are. We can't be held to someone else's standard. Our society said this was okay. Your society shouldn't tell us it's not. If their worldview was right, they would hold to that. But their worldview is not right, and they show it every time they tell us that we're wrong. Here's the question I like to ask them. when They, they want to deny absolutes. And if you read Dr. Sylvester's chapter, he's going to talk about absolute standards, absolute morality. Morality is an absolute. Where do we get morality from? It comes from the very nature of God. It's not from God's word. Give you a side note in case you ever hear some people talk about a, a, a dilemma called the, the uh, oh, I just went blank on it, uh, euthyphro dilemma. And what this dilemma is, is the argument is that think, people say that something is right or wrong just because God says it's right or wrong. Therefore, it makes God guilty of being wrong because he's the one that says something is evil and therefore he becomes evil. But here's the problem. We don't say, as a Christian, we don't say something's good or bad based on what God says. We say something is good or bad based on the way on who God is. It is his nature. You know why lying is wrong? Because God is not a liar. You know why rape is wrong? Because God is not a rapist. You know why stealing is wrong? Because God is not a thief. I didn't say steal. That's a football team in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> I at least know that of football. Maybe not much else. <laughs> but, you know, we base it in the nature of God, who God is. So when people say that we're wrong, they're actually appealing to God. And what you're quickly going to find is they want to get away from an absolute morality. They want to leave that to go into a morality that's subjective. I believe it's wrong. That is exactly what we see going on in our culture where now, by the way, Hitler did this before he was able to do what he did. He first had to get rid of absolute morality. It's one of the reasons he first targeted Christians, the real Christians. He was fine with the, 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 the fake Christians that said they were Christian and really believed in German liberalism. They were okay. It was the true Bible-believing Christians that believed in absolute morality. You see this going on in China right now. You also see it going on in America. I do challenge you because in America, as hard as it is for folks to believe, 
we are coming up against another Holocaust, and it will not be the Jews this time. It will be us. Look at the history. It will repeat. I say that because I look and I see what has gone on before. And in Germany, nobody believed it was going to happen. Even when it was happening, they denied that it was happening. They said, we are too civilized for that to be true. Mark Spence worked on a a documentary called 180. You could ask him. I'm sure he's not going to talk about it. But you, you ask him what it was like to have to put that documentary together, to sit and look at footage of what the Holocaust was like with these people that were going in, they're cheerful walking in to after the war was over. They're all cheerful walking in, laughing at, as they're going into the Auschwitz and places like that. And then he's got the footage of them leaving. They believed that they were not as civilized as they believed. I believe there's another Holocaust coming and we'll be the ones this time. Many aren't prepared because they want to live like the world and not be in this book. Brothers and sisters, we need to prepare. Now, I'll say this as a side note, because there may be people here who don't believe in Christ, and you're going, well, hey, if that's the case, I don't ever want to believe that. Let me tell you, son. As Christians, it means that we get right with God by his standard, not ours. We spend eternity with him. It's not about being in heaven, by the way. I don't care where it is as long as I'm with Christ. He's the one who died and paid a punishment for me that I can never repay. I love him so much. I want to be with him. That outweighs anything that I would have to go through in this earth. Does that mean that if trials come that I, I won't fall under? I might. I don't know. Never know what will happen at that moment. I would like to think that I wouldn't, right? But I know one thing. Having eternal life means that I'll be with Christ for all of eternity. Sitting at his feet and learning from him. And just loving him and worshiping him. So the laws of the the morality argument is really this simple. You can't have right and wrong without God first existing. And it has to be absolute. Why? Because God doesn't change. They will argue that there are absolutes. They always end up doing it. I, I have a friend of ours that she is on college campuses, and she says, how do I deal with these people that argue for a relative morality? I said, ask them for their wallet. And when they hand it over, walk away. So she tried it. And she called me up and said, Andrew, I have a problem. And by the way, she always has an audio recorder on her. So if anyone says anything, she's got the audio. But she says, Andrew, I tried this. I said, okay, how'd it go? She goes, there's a problem. I said, why? She goes, they didn't stop me. I said, maybe you didn't walk far enough. She goes, I walked to my car. (laughs) I went back to go to find them. (laughs) Well, at least they're being consistent. (laughs) So she's like, how do I argue this? Here's the argument I give that I've never had it fail yet. I asked the question. Is the act of rape always wrong? It's a very specific question. What am I saying is wrong? Not rape. The act of rape. Why? It's the action. There's a reason I like to ask it that way. They always say that the act of rape is always wrong. And I'll say, well, that sounds like an absolute. It's always wrong. Universally everywhere, right? Now, here's the dilemma. They want to say no to that. 
Okay, so it's not. So, so what is it that makes rape wrong then? If it's not wrong because God's not a rapist, what makes it wrong? The argument that they always appeal to first is harm. It harms another person. I say, well, okay, um, it harm. So harm makes it wrong? Yes. Okay, well, I, you know, there was this dentist in New Jersey. Sorry, Anthony. I can't help his profession. Uh, he, there was this dentist in New Jersey who uh, got accused of uh, basically when he sedated a woman, he had raped her. How were they able to prove it? Well, what ended up happening is one woman got pregnant and she figured she didn't believe in an immaculate conception uh, or, or really in a virgin birth, I should say, because um, I, I made a mistake that immaculate conception is actually the birth of Mary, not Jesus, in case you didn't know. Um, but in a virgin birth. And so she realized there was a problem. And the only time she was not aware of her actions as she thought it could have been was when she was sedated. She actually had a paternity test done. And sure enough, he's the father. And all of a sudden, a bunch of women who thought their children were their husbands but thought it strange went and got tested. Here's a very interesting thing that ended up occurring. Several of these women who had been raped did not have any harm or trauma until they found out that they had been raped. Therefore, the harm was not in the act of rape. The harm was in telling them they were raped. Therefore, we should just not tell them, right? People go, wait, no, 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 no. It's not the harm that's done. It's the lack of consent. What did they just do? Let's move the goalpost. Oh, that didn't work. I'll move the goalpost. Because this is what confirmation bias is. I'm going to start with a conclusion. I'm only going to accept anything that supports my conclusion. And they move the goalpost. I say, well, how do you know when they were unconscious? They didn't give consent. I mean, they need to give consent. They were unconscious. So is the act wrong? Or is it the, cons- the lack of consent that's wrong? You see why I ask, is the act? Because if the act itself is wrong, then it doesn't matter... That if there's consent or not, it matters that the act is wrong. This is a way I try to argue to show that there is an absolute that they have to hold to when it comes to the issue of rape. Their arguments don't pan out. Now, why is it that rape is always wrong? Because the nature of God, because God is not a rapist. That's why. And so... I hope, I, I, I know that for some this presuppositional project sounds scary, but I hope this was easy enough that, you know, I could do this. I can ask someone, wait a minute, you're making an argument and you're using things that first require God's existence. You're arguing from an immaterial world. Sometimes I'll say, I don't know, it came about by evolution. Right? That's why I like the law of logic, because before evolution occurred, the laws of logic exist. You see, it couldn't have evolved. It had to be from the beginning. Why? Because God. And here's the thing we end up seeing. We look at these things. They're universal. They're absolute. Right? Do we know someone else that would be universal? Absolute? Because you need a source. You need, for for these things to be true, for the ability to reason, truth, knowledge, laws of logic, morality, you need someone or something, whichever you want to go, someone or something that is immaterial, universal, and absolute. 
The only difference between the professing atheist and us, we know who he is. Well, they know who he is too. They just suppress it. There's no reason we have to fear arguing with someone that professes to be an atheist. You know why? They already know we're right. And we get so intimidated. And they want us to put this book aside for the argument. No. This book tells me that you already know God exists. So when people tell me I'm an atheist, I say God doesn't believe you. Should I believe you or God? Have you ever been wrong in your life? They go, yeah, God hasn't. I'll trust him. I hope this was practical enough for you to see that it is easy to understand and it is easy for us to put into practice, I hope. Now, here's the thing. The rest of what we're going to talk about this weekend, Mark is going to come up and he's going to talk about what the gospel is. That's essential. Because first we have to know that God exists and he has spoken. Then we're going to talk about what the gospel is. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the fact that can we trust this book? But then, okay, so we could trust the, the, the New Testament. But what about that first book in Genesis? Can we trust that one? What, does that have any application to our life? You know, but then we get into that problem that there are people that ask really tough questions. I don't have the answers. That's okay. He's going to answer them. Um, Dr. Sylvester will give you the answer. Now, I can answer. I do this in New York. It's always fun. I get up and I say, I can answer any question that you have about God in the Bible. I can. And then someone throws some really technical answer or question out there. And I go, I don't know. You said you can answer anything. I do. And I think I don't know is a perfectly good answer. It's an answer. I could study it. Maybe I could learn it and give you a different answer. But right now, I don't know is the answer. All right. So, so I hope this was practical. And I hope this sets a, a foundation for you for the rest of what you're going to get this weekend. I hope it encourages you. I hope that it helps for those of us who know Christ. I hope it helps you to realize we have a firm foundation. In fact, it's the only foundation that makes sense of any worldview that we see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a culture that's turning very much against you, and and it becomes something that causes us very often to be fearful, and we lack the boldness uh, to go out and and share the good news, especially when we we live in... (laughs) In liberal states like New Jersey and California, it's hard, Lord. Um, We get so intimidated. And yet, at this other time, we know we have your word. We know we have an absolute truth from a source that can be trusted. We ask, Lord, that we would trust in your word, that we would look to your word and know that you are accurate, that we would look to you And that we would know that the world that says you don't exist and denies you, that we could look to you and say, you say that they already know you exist. That you will not punish anyone for a knowledge that they don't have. You will punish people because they know you exist and deny you. We ask, Lord, that you would use us, use this church to be such a bright beacon of truth in this community that it would shine in such a way that people would know the truth is proclaimed from this pulpit and that people would know when they have troubles in life, they can come here to hear the truth of your word, that many would come to know you and be discipled and be spiritually matured through the ministry you do here. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.